Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tribe Call Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim, and you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! What's up? What is up? I'm your host, Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the Talk House Podcast. Today, I'm joined in our Brooklyn studio by... Annie Fell, Senior Editor. Annie, thanks for joining us back on the show. Thanks for having me. This is such a cool episode. It features Devante Hines, a.k.a. Blood Orange, in conversation with Beverly Glenn Copeland. It is not often that Shostakovich, UK soul, American alt-rock, West African music, and hip-hop are brought up in the same Talkhouse conversation. But with these two genre-defying artists, it makes perfect sense that all those would come into play. Glenn and Dev are big fans of each other's music and were really psyched at the chance to meet in person. And what better context for that than a Talkhouse podcast? They sat down at Hook and Fade Studios while Glenn was in town just a few weeks back. Yeah, Glenn had actually just performed a sold-out show at MoMA PS1 just a few days before they talked. Yeah, and Dev got the chance to be there with, he calls her Tessa, I'll call her the wonderful actress Tessa Thompson. Tessa was so taken with Glenn that she came along and hung out for his talk with Dev. And close listeners, you might actually hear her laughing a couple times throughout the talk. Now, Dev Hines is the London-born, New York-based, left-field R&B slash art-pop artist who you probably know as Blood Orange. You may also know his work as a producer and songwriter with acts like Solange, Sky Ferreira, Carly Rae Jepsen, FKA Twigs, Haim, and the elusive Chanteuse herself, Mariah Carey. Boom. He has collaborated with some of the best. Dev's latest work is the brilliant score to the film Queen and Slim. That was, of course, written by the Emmy-winning writer Lena Waithe and directed by Grammy-winning director Melina Matsukas. Parenthetically, those of you listeners who happen to follow me on Instagram will know that this was my favorite score of the year. Just so good. A funny story, Annie. Glenn arrived to the studio a few minutes early and just sat listening rapturously to the Queen and Slim soundtrack on the big studio speakers until Dev arrived and their talk started. (laughs) He was very taken with it, as you'll hear him mention in the talk. The most recent official Blood Orange release was Angel's Pulse, a mixtape that he released back in October. Angel's Pulse serves as an addendum to the fourth Blood Orange album, Negro Swan, which came out the year before. Dev called it, quote, an exploration into his own and many types of black depression, an honest look at the corners of black existence and the ongoing anxieties of queer people of color. From Angel's Pulse, here's a clip of happiness. It simply must be noted as well that Dev is a fantastic cellist, dancer, and most recently, video director. He directed one of my favorite videos of last year. That was for his song, Benzo. But just last October, he directed Beck's video, Uneventful Days, which featured cameos from the aforementioned Tessa Thompson, as well as Evan Rachel Wood and Alia Shawkat. Is there anything this man can't do? I don't think so. He's unstoppable. Now, Annie, I'm so glad that you shared that quote from Dev earlier discussing, as he puts it, the ongoing anxieties of queer slash people of color. That is certainly something that could have been intimate to the experience of being Glenn Copeland. Glenn is a trans black man who was born in Philadelphia, but has opted to spend his life in small town Canada. He currently resides in Sackville, 
a tiny town in the middle of nowhere, New Brunswick. And here's one of the many fascinating things about Glenn's story. While he was previously best known for his work as a composer for Sesame Street, as well as the Canadian kids show Mr. Dress Up, a recent Japanese reissue of the previously mostly unknown 1986 album Keyboard Fantasies has shown his work to a brand new generation who have now gone back and embraced his past catalog, which is a genre-smashing amalgam of new age, classical, folk, and so much more. It's been really cool to see some younger artists really get behind him and help get Glenn's name out into the world. I'm thinking Caribou, TV on the radio, Fortet. Yeah, and there's actually a new film out that will maybe bring his work to even more people called Keyboard Fantasies, The Beverly Glenn Copeland Story. On top of that, Glenn just released a new record last year called Primal Prayer, and on his current tour has already been playing new unreleased music. So the man is truly on a roll. Yeah, and that tour is actually his first in the U.S. At the age of 74. Can you imagine a lifetime of fantastic work and finally being discovered in your 70s, getting the appreciation you've deserved the whole time? It's truly wild. It so is, and he is just taking it in stride so wonderfully. Listeners, I want to share a clip of a song from his new album, Primal Prayer. This is La Vita. Really, really, really interesting work. And just so beautiful. Glenn and Dev's conversation takes in a lot including discovering deep parts of themselves via traveling away from their home countries. They talk about how the eclectic musical tastes of their families have informed their own work. They get into their songwriting processes, and we get to hear the story behind Glenn's seminal work, Keyboard Fantasies. We also get to hear about the importance of nature and its role in their music. Dev talks about just how recently he began to honor music as the foundation of his creativity. And we also hear the trick that Glenn's mother used to, in utero, Turn him into a musician. Should we roll the tape? Let's do it. Hello, hey. Dev. <laughs> Hello, Glenn. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. It's such a such a pleasure to meet you. And I feel exactly the same. Oh. So here we go. Thank you. First off, I really, really enjoyed your show the other night. Thank you. That was incredible. No, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't know what would happen. And then Tessa and I were lucky to catch the documentary beforehand yes which was so great and informative and seeing you and the band that band are incredible <laughs> that's what i think too <laughs> <laughs> you i mean all of you all of you on stage that was it was a master class mm. well, i'll tell them yeah. they'll be very honored to know that thank you i will relay that how did you feel about the show oh i had a blast cool yeah no i had total fun and sometimes, you know, you have fun and you don't know if anybody else has fun. It's, like, it's kind yes. of indulgent, but you try to stay tuned, you know, best you can to your audience. But the audience was so responsive, so caring, so loving, really. I mean, it was impossible not to have had a wonderful time there. A friend of ours said something very interesting, which is, um, you know, there's certain artists that you listen to that feel like you're the only person in the world listening you know, in a way that feels so personal to you. And there's something so magical then when all those people come to one place and have that extremely personal moment shared. 
and and that and that's what it that's what it felt like. I'm really glad about that. Yeah. Really glad. So now I'm going to tell you about my experience of you. <laughs> okay. So I'm really picky and choosy, right? Mm. Sorry to say that, but I don't listen to music by and large. Mm. Um, I've lived in silence most of my life after many years of being immersed 10 hours a day. And I didn't stop to think about the fact that I needed silence. I didn't think about it as a need. I just live in silence. Right? And every once in a while, something will come through and I will listen to it very deeply every day for two years easily. Right? And I might be listening to three things every day for two years. And then after a while, it's like I've, it's not that I'm studying it. It's that it's, it's touching my heart so deeply, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so my wonderful manager, Echo Byrne, said, um, oh, I want to introduce you to, you know, some people that you, you know. I just went, no, no, I don't know, no, I don't want to know, no, no, no. He said, and he was very insistent. He said, I just want you to listen to this. And he sent me a link of one of your videos. I flipped out. Oh, my God. <laughs> I flipped out. And I just said, okay, <laughs> green light, green light, green light. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I want to meet this person. So, and, and I've just been in, in here, you know, before you arrived, listening to this new music that you've written. And I mean, for me, this is music that I will listen to. This is going to be my new on constant repeat every day. It's just that profound. That's such an honor. Thank you. Well, you know, I'm not trying to honor you. I'm just telling you my truth. But if it honors you, then fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Wow. No, it's just incredible of what I just experienced in this room. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Speechless, really. I feel so happy to have had somebody insist mm. <laughs> about you wow. for my benefit. Anyway, so there we go. Wow. Thank you. I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> um, how long are you in New York for? 15 more minutes. <laughs> well. I, I came on, I think it was Saturday. Yeah. And um, it's just been one thing after another for, you know, all the days. And, yeah. and then I'm gone. Yeah. Back to Canada. Do you like New York? No. <laughs> I like the people I meet, though. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I've met incredible people since I've been here. I'm loving every bit of it. If I could bring you all out to the woods, I would. Where? So where exactly is that? Where do I live? Yeah. Uh, at the moment, I'm living in a small town called Sackville, which is uh, only about seven miles from the border with uh, Nova Scotia, right? It's a little isthmus. It narrows down. So on the one side, we have the Bay of Fundy with the highest tides in the world, which is the ocean, and on the other side, the ocean. So this little town is at sea level. Wow. So it could disappear at any moment. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you lived there? A very short time. I'm very much a Roma. My mother used to keep a, a telephone book that was just my addresses. Wow. Because I would move every year. Yeah. I still do the same thing. I've been living there for the last three years because my wife decided that she wanted to attend the university that was there. Mm. And though the two of us both normally live in the woods as much as possible, usually all the time, 
you know, she said, I don't want to live in the woods. I want to be able to walk to the university. Yeah. And I said, okay. So we bought a little piece of property, a little house. It had 13 huge trees in the backyard, the best apples I've ever tasted. <laughs> and then we went, please let the house be habitable. <laughs> please let the house be okay. Yeah. We, and we visited the backyard first and we wanted to buy it based on the backyard. <laughs> apples first. Yeah, yeah, seconds. trees first. And, <laughs> and we went in the house and yes, it was possible to live in it. That's so great. we bought it. <laughs> yeah. Where do you think um, that affinity for nature came from? Were you, did you grow up around nature? Yes, except for the first three years of my life. Mm. I've always had access to wildness. And by the time I was 12, my parents had purchased a property that abutted a wild, wild, wild city park that wasn't a city park. It was city woods, mm. like miles of city woods with deer and wild animals in it. And our property went down into that. So I would come home from school. The first thing I would do was I'd run through the woods. Wow. I'd just run through the woods. My mother would be going like, (laughs) (laughs) but she wasn't there yet, so I'd run through the woods. (laughs) Don't run through the woods. I'd run through the woods. (laughs) Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. Most of my life I've done that. Yeah. What about you? Where did you grow up? I grew up in um, East London, mainly in a, a place called Essex, Essex County, which actually has forests. So I have an interesting relationship with nature and forestry. Tell me about it. I think it's a it's a it's a confliction because um, I'm a city boy. Okay. You know, I'm, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't okay. kid myself about it. I, I'm, I'm a city boy, yeah. but um, I do have a fantasy part of my brain that involves nature and forestry like when you just said that it really reminded me that after school there would be these moments where we would go to this place called Epping Forest spend as many hours as we can running around but then it would, we were always somewhat pulled as soon as you left it's like a very jarring back into city life mm-hmm. so I, have, I think I still have that in my head where I like the idea of running off into that for a short period of time. When I listen to your music, though, I do not hear the city. Interesting. I hear a translation of Earth. Hmm. Probably because music is has always been, um, I mean, it's a cliche, but it's a true one, is uh, escapism. It was always the path to escape where I was as a child and, and now. I always say to people that I make music the exact same way I did when I was 12. How did you do that? It was behind closed doors. I mean, I guess the, the practical way I've made it has changed through the years, but essentially it's always just been by myself in my bedroom thinking about the place I want to be and what that place sounds like to me. That's very beautiful. And, and I pretty much always have it mapped out. If you were to envision it as a house, mm-hmm. have the outside built in my head. And from there, I just, I don't want to say it's like easy because sometimes it could be like half an hour or it could be 10 years, mm-hmm. but I, I know the outcome. Okay. And so I'm just somewhat connecting the dots to match that image in my mind. That's amazing. We couldn't be less alike. <laughs> it's quite wonderful. What's your um, 
What's your process? I know um, the other night you mentioned, which was really interesting to me about how you feel like it flows mm -hmm. through you. Mm -hmm. um, tell me about that. I have no image of anything. Mm. I'll be busy doing some mundane aspect of life and uh, something comes through all of a sudden mm. and I have no idea where it's meant to go. I just rush and put it down. Yeah. And then after I've finished putting it down, I look at it and I don't know what it is. And I can barely play it back. Wow. Now, wouldn't you say that's pretty much opposites? <laughs> it's, it's very opposite. I love that. <laughs> Good. Opposites attract. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's so beautiful. That's great. Well, however it is that you do it, it's profound. I really loved the song you played that was for your anniversary. Harbor. Yeah, my uh, wife's song, song yeah. for my wife. Yeah, I'm glad you like that. I really love that. Can you explain for people that haven't? Oh, okay, so <clears throat> every year I write, and I mean I write, <laughs> a ditty of some kind, <laughs> a poem or a song or a poem that turns into a song Yeah. very quickly, um, usually on the day of my wife's birthday <laughs> usually in the morning when i go oh whoops <laughs> Ooh, oops <laughs> i wake very early my wife needs more sleep in the morning than i do which has saved my backside many times <laughs> okay. so i run and do that and this particular year i went to do that this was, it was her birthday and this thing came through that was afterwards i realized it was I mean, I kind of explain it with humor that the universe was going like, good grief, we need to get involved here. <laughs> this woman is worthy of more than these ditties that you've been coming up with. Right? <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so that, that came through and it's, it's, oh, it's such a beautiful piece. I, I just, I was, I was floored. I was floored by that piece. It's, it's interesting because people say that a lot. And I, I, I think it's because what's being expressed there is what we feel when we truly appreciate a person that's hanging in with us. Yeah. And I don't think it's specific to me by any chance. I think it's very universal. If you really care for somebody through the thick and thins of it, and it's not the flush of first love and sex and all the rest of that, which is all wonderful, but Lord, there's a lot of work that has to go into making a relationship. Yes. And a lot of understanding, a lot of making room for everybody's fault lines. Yes. I think that's why people really feel something from that because people have been there. You know, most people in, the, in that room have been deeply in love at some point in their lives, you know? Deeply loving and in love sounds kind of whatever, but you know what I mean. Yeah, that really comes through in that piece. It was like a beacon of light, <laughs> just... <laughs> kind of shot through. Wow. I'm really glad you felt that. Really felt it on that one. How steadily do you make music or write words? I never write words first. Like, I'm not a poet. Music always comes to me first. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll get a fraction of a phrase yeah. that comes with whatever's coming through. But then I have to sit and say, what is this music talking about? Yeah. And since I have very limited 
you know, I'm very limited in my own spectrum. It's usually talking about the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way about myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting. Kip Malone. Yeah. He put it like this. He said, I think we only have two songs. <laughs> I love that. I really love that. <laughs> Ding dong. Right on the money. You really hit it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, you steadily make music. Constantly, always. Yeah. yeah. I mean, constantly doesn't mean that like you, I don't go into the studio with an intention. Although I have done that when I said that I was going to write something that honored something in particular. But I still have to wait for it. Mm. And I say that, but then I wait until, you know, the universe gets on side about it. Mm. Um, I'm always writing. I'm always translating. You know, I'll be translating. I know one day I'll be translating in the middle of translating and just drop dead. That'll be it. <laughs> well, I mean, I hope for a death like that. Mm. Except I'd like to say goodbye to everybody first, you know. Yeah. What a wonderful time I had with them all and how much I love them and all that stuff. But... You know, we don't want that to go on too long, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Quick exit. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I think that's one thing maybe we have in common. I don't ever start anything with intention, except for maybe scoring work when it's mm. I have to do that. Mm. But um, all my other music, that image and that place that comes to me is never really chosen. Mm. We might be more alike than I realize. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's never um, premeditated. Mm-hmm. You know, most of my best friends are visual artists, mm. and they're most of them are profound visual artists, yeah. and most of them are old like me. They all say the same thing that I say, which is they say, I mean, I look at their works and I flip out because I'm visual art is the most important art form to me, other than what I do. Mm-hmm. But it's not the most important art form in some ways. I always said if I had to choose between my ears and my eyes, I would choose my eyes. Because my head is full of music anyway. And I need to see beauty. Right? Yeah. Anyway, my, my friends, I'll look at a piece and I'll just go, my gosh, what, tell me about this. And they all say the same thing. Oh, this just came <laughs> this was sent. <laughs> I didn't have a thing to do with this, <laughs> except that I had worked really hard to have the skills to be able to translate it. Right. Right? Yeah. And when when they all started to say that, I went, oh, okay, I get it. So that's because that's how I've been feeling. And then I realized, yeah, okay, tell me something exciting about yourself. About <laughs> myself. <laughs> Um, or something that's, that, you know, just that you want to share. Tell me something exciting from your childhood. Tell me something that made an impact on you other than the woods around mm-hmm. how you create or what you create. Okay. Well, I guess one thing is that I've always seen sound and music as, um, as something that's in me. I view it like breathing. It's a thing that I've, it's always been there for me to survive but just like breathing it's something that um i mean obviously there's you can practice thinking about breathing but it's been something that for most of my life i wouldn't think about because it was the thing that is helping me exist and i and i think it hasn't been till 
if I'm honest, maybe like the last five years, that it's been something that I would actually look into and really think about. There'd always be other other interests in my life and things that I infuse about and and do and create. But there was a real moment where I feel like lightning. I suddenly realized that all of those things stemmed from music. Like all, all everything, all those different corners, they wouldn't be there without that uh, beginning core that was music. And I, th- I feel like once I had that realization, it was like a like unlocking of a world of possibilities in my life. And I'm still exploring all those possibilities because it's like I've I've realized what the almost like what the rock is that's that can keep kind of keep my feet on the ground. And, you know, I can always come back, can go and fly off to these different corners, but I know where the the home is. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Tell me about some of the flights. <laughs> well. Another thing that's similar that was interesting is about what you said is um, the visual part. Mm-hmm. I'm very inspired visually, mm-hmm. way more than sound. Oh. Way, it's all so visual. You know, that's interesting because that's what grabbed me mm. about when I when I was introduced to your music because it was a visual thing. So I'm listening to this incredible music and I'm watching these visuals that are like, what is this? <laughs> this dude thinks like, this is like out of this world. And that's interesting. That's of cool. course, that makes total sense. I love that. You picked up on that. <laughs> How could they not, though, when you think about it? Yeah. Oh, anyway, with that, okay, well, thank you for telling me that. That connected a couple of dots right there for me. How long did keyboard fantasies take to... To make? have it come through? Yeah, from beginning Probably to... Probably maybe like a gestating a child probably about 9, 10, 11 months. Hmm. Did, the, did the idea for it hit you at once or did you not realize maybe till later? There wasn't, there was no, so you think in terms of ideas for, hmm. right? Yeah, not there. <laughs> what happened was I got this computer right? <laughs> and I turned it on and it had all these sounds <laughs> and I went, Yeah, you know, and the DX had all these sounds in it, and the little TX had all this, and the computer was able to coordinate all those sounds, right? And make, and I just went berserk. Yeah, I just went. I would hear a sound and go, (laughs) 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 yeah, and I'd start, you know, playing. I'd I'd start doing something with it, and. And then because I was playing with that sound, something would come through mm. for that sound and layers and layers and layers and layers and layers would come through. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I write in a very short form. Mm. Okay, so when I say I write, I hear because, you know, I mean, the great European masters, 
some of them heard in very, you know, like a fugue, for instance. Like, so this, this melody is a short form relative. And, but then how can I turn that melody? How can I make that melody play over itself? You know, and, right. and then it, it becomes all this harmony and blah, 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 blah. blah. But, but by and large, most of, uh, I think probably most of the big symphonies and stuff have many ideas that are interrelated. Yeah. And, then, and then those ideas are, are sussed out, right? Yeah. They just get... Yeah. Wow! Right. Expanded. And- yeah. Well, the universe sends me exactly four bars, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or maybe eight bars mm. of something, very short forms. But then it sends fifty-two melodies to go on top of it, mm. right? And that's a slight exaggeration, but easily it'll send sixteen melodies yeah. to go on top of that four bars. And what happens for me is that then I have to go, you know, I go like, oh that, oh and that, oh and that, oh and that, and that. And then after a while I've got like literally, you know, ten melodies. Yeah. And then I have to go, wait a minute. <laughs> some of these are really important and some of these are not really. <laughs> it's just like saying I can't keep all the kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I can't keep them all. So then I have to win them out. So that's basically, yeah, that's how that works for me. Wow. It just uh, came flying through. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it was just time. But mostly it was because I had a tool, and so then things that I couldn't have heard, Yeah. I could suddenly hear that got, you know, you, know, you can't, you know, we're all creative beings, all of us. And whatever it is we're meant to do, we're all creative beings because we're all part of the universe and the universe is a creative entity. And we're we're part of that, so we're creative entities, right? Yeah. Every single person. So each of us is totally unique and creative in our own ways and meant to offer something to the whole that only we can offer. And there's no two people that are the same. There's no two anythings that are the same. Yeah. And so it's all precious. Each person is precious. Each, each everything is precious, really. Well, anyway, so I hear in a small, in small forms. And, and so I get sent stuff that's, you know, that's on my wavelength. Mm. And my wavelength is short. (laughs) 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 So there you go. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that, you know, stuff that got sent to uh, Shostakovich (laughs) was quite long. Oh, my God. Long for it, right? Actually, you you said, so your dad was a teacher Mm -hmm. and would practice uh, classical piano. Mm -hmm. What were some of his favorite pieces and then maybe yours? Chopin etudes. He loved uh, Bach, Beethoven. I've never cared for Beethoven, thank you very much, except certain pieces, which are beyond the pale. That's exactly exactly how I had this conversation recently about Beethoven. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's so funny. Mm. Yeah. My father was a brilliant pianist, Mm. and he, he played for his own pleasure. Yeah. But that was five, six hours a day, right? And... Yeah, he played a lot of Beethoven. He played a lot of Chopin. And, and you know, other things. Um, uh, Debussy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, some, some Bach. Sorry, 
oh, we got Debussy. Yeah, <laughs> give me a break, man. Debussy, right oh, a painter in sound, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love Debussy. Yeah. Uh, and Ravel, too. Love Ravel. Oh, so now I know I'm starting to understand why I like your music. Zone. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. So, um, yeah, so he was, he was my radio, mm. you know. Yeah, wow. he was just uh, he was an incredible guy. I adored my father. I adored my mother too. Yeah. My mother was a good pianist as well. She could play anything. Wow. Except for classical music. And I would sit beside her and she would she would play things. We would sing together and stuff. Right? Oh. And she told me once, you know, when she lived with me in in the last years of her life, for the last five years of four or four years of her life, she lived with me in my home. And she told me that when I was in utero, that she actually played an hour a day to make me into a musician. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. So I was like listening to the piano yeah. in utero going, Wee! <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. What a soundtrack. Yeah. Far out. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, tell me more about you. Let's see, what do I want to know about you? I want to know about your hair. This really cute. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> my hair is. Oh, actually, I mean, one thing that's kind of interesting, which relates to my parents, is um. So my mom is from Guyana. Yes. Um, my dad's from Sierra Leone. <laughs> but related to my hair, I some years ago went to Guyana to see where my mom's from, and yeah. I never met any of my grandparents, and right. met eventually met my grandfather and has this kind of weird uh, experience where I you know, drove out and um, met an uncle who then was taking me around. He, he, he was so funny. He would like, <laughs> you know, like just kind of stop off somewhere, knock on a door. But he wouldn't tell me. He'd just be like, I'm just going to stop off here for a second. Knock on the door and someone will come out. I'd be kind of angry, being disrupted and looking around. And I'd be kind of like, you know, I mean, it's like somewhat jungle. It wasn't in the main city. It was like pretty out. Mm-hmm. I'd be kind of a little scared and hesitant as to what's happening because I don't really know where I am or these people. And then I'd come towards the car and he'd be like, um, yes, this is your other uncle. And <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Hello. <laughs> and so that happened a lot. Um, and there was, there was one, um, Reginald, who was an uncle, and he had these like long, these locks. It was a similar to mine, but they were like really long and flowing. And I, and I took a picture of him all this whole time. I was taking pictures, sending it back to my mother, who's in London. And I sent this picture, and she was like, Who? who? She's like, Who is that? I was like, That's it's your, your brother. She didn't recognize him. She's like, oh, he he had a shaved head last time I saw him. And he looked very, very similar to me. And there was a few people like that in Ghana. And, you know, it was the first time, only time I would say, that I was in a place where not just looks. It wasn't just that, like, people looked like me, but it was like a temperament. I completely get this. Yeah. Keep talking. It's not something I'd thought about. It wasn't anything I'd mm-hmm. thought I hadn't experienced. Mm-hmm. I think I'd just gone used to what life was and how it was. But 
the temperament was so specific and 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 you know one of those moments that really makes you realize how much a parent has uh not just passed on but what you've kind of grown in and i remember it was really it was a hard thing to understand and work out because it wasn't just people related to me it was from getting on the bus or buying water it's like oh my god this is like I feel like my mother is everywhere. <laughs> it really felt that way. I hear you. How wonderful for you. Yeah, it was it was really incredible. I mean, because I was in my mid twenties. I'd gone my mm-hmm. whole you know mm-hmm. that whole time not I didn't miss it because I didn't know it existed. Of course not. You know. I understand. But you know, uh, my, my parents weren't musical. They're still with me. I mean, they're not musical. They would listen to a lot of music. So the house I grew up in, <laughs> there was radios all over, mm-hmm. all over. And I later learned my mom grew up in a house that had the radio just blasting in Guyana. Um, so there's a radio in the kitchen playing. My mom would listen to a lot of the kind of UK soul acts. At okay. the time, okay. uh, UB40, Sade, and my, my mom listened to a lot of that. Mm-hmm. My dad only listened to the classical radio stations. Mm-hmm. So he would have that playing. And my sister was more into a mixture of a lot of the dance music all the time in England. And a lot of the kind of um, American alternative like rock music. And then my brother was just listening to hip hop the whole time. And I'd be running around the house listening to all of these things non nonstop. And then the reason I ended up playing instruments, my sister, who is eight years older than me, was a piano player. She stopped very, very, I mean, she maybe played for four or five years of her life and then never played it again. But she was so incredible. And I would sit on the chair of my sister and she would go off to piano lessons. And my mom told me that I would cry when my sister wasn't there. So she started just putting me in the lessons just so that I was near my sister when she was playing. And from then it just carried on even when my sister stopped. And I started playing the cello big cello in orchestra and all those sounds were happening all the time. Yeah, I get it. You know. Yeah, I know. That's a beautiful story. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with oh, me. Oh, no. It's my pleasure. I, I was listening to music all over the world, too. Mm. When I, I mean, my parents introduced me to big, big band music, you mm. know, so that was being played, you know. But then I was listening to music from China and... Uh, this when I was a teenager, you know, West African drumming. I was yeah. totally into that, and anything I could, I, anything I could hear, I found that I loved everything. Yeah, right. Yeah, I loved all kinds of music. Right, but I want to go back to that knowing of your ancestry, mm. that that knowing as a result of being with them and and recognizing yourself. Yeah, right. 
That is such a gift. That is such a gift. Yeah. I'm from West African culture. West African culture is allowed, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's got attitude, yeah. right? And that's just that's just what we are. We just, you know, it's it's loud, mm. right? And it's very expressive and no bullshit, you know. You know, it's like they'll call you on that in a second and call you out for it, yes. right? But at the same time, it's extremely loving, yeah. right? And now my particular family was not like that, but it was in my culture. Mm. Actually, my father's sister was exactly like that. She was truly West African. (laughs) She'd say things like, you brought me in here in chains, so I know you wanted me here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, 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 she'd say things like that. I was like, okay, you know, here we go. um, (laughs) You know, she was really straight, straight up like that. But um, for me... The first time I experienced being where I was not the minority. Because when you are in a culture where you are the only person, relatively speaking, and you represent your whole race Mm -hmm. to all other races, right? Because they have no experience. I mean, things have changed a lot now. But when when I was a kid, every time I went out the door, I represented being black to everybody who was white, Yeah. right? So I was like, I never had a moment where I was alone. I never had a moment of privacy Mm. ever when I was outside my door. Yeah. Right, and the first time I went to uh, a completely black culture was I went to Jamaica. Mm. I remember I got off the plane, the door opened, and I went. I was knocked backwards. I came down the steps and went, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I just melted." Even though I'm a Canadian and I'm not from the West Indies, I'm just in the background here, relatively speaking. I can and relate. there was a sense of like <sighs> yeah right and i think that that is something that all people who have been mis- displaced mm. for one reason or another right experience to not be in the culture where that culture is is just the natural thing around them it creates a great dissonance and i don't care whether you're talking about being a Jew, whether you're talking about being black, whether you're talking about being a Muslim, whatever, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like that is very hard on yeah. you. It's right? heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no easy fix for it. But one of the good things that's happening is that we're starting to mix up all around the world, mm. right? So now people go out the door, they see, at least here in our, in our Western culture, yeah. we see everybody now, right? And yeah. so it's starting to be, you know, a natural thing. And this person, no, nobody looks at me in any particular different way than they look at anybody else. And I don't look at them in any different way than, you know, anybody else. And it's, yeah. things are relaxing. And so one of the wonderful things about the fact that we're starting to be a world community where we understand that we're just human beings yeah. with different wonderful attributes exactly. to give to the whole thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah, me too. Well, on that note, I've had such a wonderful time talking to you. Me too. It's and been talking incredible. With you. It's been 
really, really incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Dev Hines, Glenn Copeland, thank you so much for joining us here on the TalkHouse podcast. Listeners, make sure to catch Blood Orange on tour throughout March with support from Teishi. They'll be going around America and into Canada with the tour ending here in New York at Radio City Music Hall. And be sure to check out Blood Orange's past episode with the TalkHouse podcast with Raphael Sadiq. That was recorded backstage at Pitchfork Music Festival in 2018 and was part of a double with Fleet Foxes and Nila Fragano. Double whammy. Great show. Today's show was recorded and co-produced by Mark Yoshizumi with additional editing by Katie Lau. The TalkHouse podcast theme song was composed and performed by The Range. For all behind-the-scenes content, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the usual suspects. All of them. At TalkHouse. And I have to say, Annie, there's some very cute pictures from this one. So good. Yeah. Until next week, I'm Ellie Einhorn. I'm Annie Fell. Peace. Bye. And keyboard fantasies. Peace.